Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the author of the book, Pandemic Blunder, and this is Dr. Joel S. Hershorn. Welcome to the show. Hi, good to be with you. No doubt, happy to have you here. So, Joel, I've done a real brief intro right there, but please introduce yourself to the audience. Well, I've been working on uh, health issues for many decades. I started out as a professor University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I directed a uh, medical research program between the uh, medical school and the engineering college. Went on to become a senior uh, official at the uh, Office of Technology Assessment, a congressional agency. And I uh, worked on health issues there. And I testified over 50 times at Senate and House hearings because I was seen as a trusted objective expert went on to become a senior official at the National Governance Association, where, again, I worked on a lot of health-related issues. And uh, been uh, since I retired, I've been an executive volunteer at a major hospital uh, here in Maryland and uh, just got real active uh, in terms of the pandemic once I began to see the data coming out in early 2020, March of 2020. I was very impressed by the data, mm. and I began to realize we needed to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, inform the public about that we had the medicines, the generic medicines, that could greatly uh, help out patients infected with COVID-19 if they were given these medicines very early, within the first several days or a week. And then later we began to get data to show that these same generic medicines uh, could act as a prophylactic, could prevent getting COVID-19. So I wrote the book Pandemic Blunder because I really wanted to be a strong advocate for using these generic medicines, the solutions that a very uh, innovative bunch of doctors had invented basically including Dr. Zelenko from New York, who wrote mm -hmm. the forward to my book, and uh, Dr. Didier in France, and uh, George Farid in California, uh, Peter McCullough in Texas. We've had a bunch of doctors that have been pushing the use of these, what we call treatment protocols. And now we see them uh, clearly as an alternative to COVID vaccines, and that's very important people should understand that vaccines are not the only answer to addressing COVID-19. In fact, we now have a lot of negative views. I do certainly, among many others, a lot of negative views of these vaccines. And uh, I had a new article just published last night, actually. I keep writing articles in addition to the book I've done. And uh, the new article is all about natural immunity. Mm -hmm. and how the U.S. government, unlike other governments like France, Germany, and Israel, the U.S. government is not giving credit for natural immunity. And you get natural immunity once you've been infected by COVID-19, but over 99% of the people, having been infected, will not suffer any significant health effects, okay? But mm -hmm. the one benefit they get from being infected is they get natural immunity. And now we know, so much research shows us that the natural immunity is actually better <laughs> than the artificial or vaccine immunity. So there's, there's a constant flow of new information and data that I'm trying to communicate 
to the public through podcasts and the articles I write. I hear that. So there's a there's a lot to get through here. So going back to the early stages of 2020, what was the data that you were looking at that made you think, hang on, the data is not fitting entirely here with the narrative? What was that data you were looking at? Uh, particularly the, the data from Dr. Zelenko in New York. He was treating elderly people, okay, uh, that were coming down with very significant uh, COVID-19 uh, symptoms. I mean, there was no doubt that he had a, a lot of patients who were getting very sick very quickly. And so he gave them what we now call the Zelenko cocktail, which at that time was based uh, primarily on hydroxychloroquine. And then he realized you also needed to do zinc. And he also gave them a, a conventional antibiotic like doxycycline. And that cocktail, when given within the first, again, three, four, five, up to maybe seven days pushing it, cures his patients. I mean, just within a few days, his very ill patients were cured. They were healthy again. None of his patients went to the hospital. They didn't die. <laughs> and that kind of data was so compelling to me. And then at the same time, remember, or we're talking 2020 now, the same time, the U.S. government was creating obstacles, okay, this is principally Dr. Fauci at NIH, they were creating obstacles to the wide use of hydroxychloroquine. And then soon after, another generic became widely acknowledged to be effective also, and that was ivermectin. And mm -hmm. so Zelenko and a lot of the other pioneering doctors, some of them keep using hydroxychloroquine, Many of them have switched over to iv ivermectin. Same good results. I was looking the other day, George Farid in California and uh, his associates have treated, I think, six or 7,000 people with the same kind of generic medicine approach. None of them have gotten deathly ill or gone to the hospital or died. So fantastic results. And again, some of the greatest doctors that we have, Dr. Peter McCullough, has also been a strong advocate of treatment protocols. So another wonderful doctor, uh, Dr. Harvey Reich from Yale University. I mean, these are highly credentialed, experienced people also strongly behind these treatment protocols. And a number of organizations that I'm a part of trying to push it also. But the, the problem has been that Fauci created a pandemic strategy early in 2020. Unfortunately, he sold President Trump on it. And it's what I call the wait for the vaccine strategy. And Fauci was willing to let hundreds of thousands of Americans die from COVID-19 because he blocked the treatment protocols and said, now we got to wait for vaccines. And of course, it took a number of months uh, for the vaccines to come online. And maybe we could argue today that they were developed and tested too quickly, which is why we're seeing so many adverse, adverse negative impacts of the vaccines. An enormous number of deaths, enormous number of, of, of really ill people. And I've written a few articles about the blood problems, blood clotting problems from the vaccines. And, uh, Wonderful, I mean, data, disturbing data, but very strong data showing how prevalent these blood clots are. And when you get blood clots, it also triggers another bad reaction, and that is you, your platelet count goes down in your bloodstream, and platelets are necessary to clot when you need clotting, okay? But the, these artificial vaccine-induced clots eat up all the platelets, and what some of the effects are, are brain, what we call brain bleeds and strokes, all kinds of blood problems. A wonderful doctor in California, doc, excuse me, Canada, Dr. Hoff in Canada, um, treated, uh, nine, he gave 900 doses of the Moderna vaccine. And he had, I don't know, he must have been following the research because he gave his patients a blood test that most people never get. It's called the D-dimer test. And that test 
determines whether you have a lot of blood clotting going on in your body. And Dr. Hoff found 64% of his patients, amazing, 64% had microscopic blood clots. These are very fine blood clots and mostly the capillaries. They cannot be seen through regular medical scans, x-ray scans or MRI scans or anything like that, okay? But these are very major blood clots. And then Peter McCullough and some other great doctors have looked at autopsy results and what they see in people who've gotten COVID or people who've died because of vaccines is that their lungs and other organs are filled with, again, microscopic blood clots that cause all kinds of medical problems. Wow. Wow. <laughs> A lot heavy. to absorb. Um, one of the craziest things I've noticed over the past year and a half, and one of the most disturbing things has been the censorship, not just censorship of everyday people, but censorship of highly qualified medical doctors and yeah. actual experts and people who have treated patients. As far as I'm aware, I don't believe Dr. Fauci has treated a single <laughs> patient throughout this entire situation. Yet in the USA, he is viewed as the science, as the doctor, right? You know, Dr. Fauci said this, Dr. Fauci said that, as if he's some perfect man who is all-knowing and all-seeing, which is very bizarre to me. I've spoken to other doctors and seen them posting online and making videos where they're talking about these treatment protocols. They're talking about their experience dealing with hundreds or thousands of patients. And not just the media, but many people in general are wanting to just dismiss them as so-called uh, conspiracy theorists or quacks or whatever name it is. The same people saying, listen to the doctors, trust the experts, will very rapidly dismiss doctors and experts whose conclusions do not align with as simply as wear the mask and take the vax no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter if you've been previously infected, no matter anything. It just seems like a massive, massive drive and campaign to get as many people around the world injected with these particular um, injections and to repeat the process over and over and over again. So I'm at the stage where, I mean, I've been at the stage for quite a while where it, does, it doesn't seem to be a blunder to me, right? It doesn't seem to oh, be well. something I can pass off as simply a mistake or incompetence. I mean, I will not even be able to post this podcast on YouTube or I will get a strike on my channel because we've spoken about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I'm going to have to put this on a different platform. That in itself is highly concerning. That is not yes. allowing free speech. It's uh, detrimental to the scientific process, to medicine, so on and so forth. The fact people are not even willing to have these conversations or allow this information to get out there is deeply concerning. Yes, you've made an important point. First off, I think Dr. Fauci should be considered evil and really a criminal in a sense because of the over official 600,000 American deaths from COVID, I would say, and Peter McCullough has backed me up on this, over 500,000, way over 500,000, could have been prevented through the use of those treatment protocols. So when Fauci blocked the wide use of the treatment protocols, he essentially killed over half a million Americans. So I consider him criminal, evil, should not be respected in any respect, okay? No way. He is not a great expert. He is not even good in terms of protecting public health, okay? Everything he's done has been evil. And people ask me sometimes, well, how come he promoted all these vaccines? And, and killed half a million Americans because he blocked the treatment protocols. Well, the only, there's only one rational answer, and that is the old wisdom of follow the money. Mm -hmm. Fauci has a long history, I'm going back decades, of very close relationships with big drug companies. In fact, NIH and his division at NIH get funding from these same drug companies, okay? Because there's a complicated situation regarding patents. So often NIH gets some patent rights, and that means they share in the profits 
from these big drug companies and they're sharing now in the profits from the vaccines. So I think the only way to understand this push for vaccines is money. And now even it gets crazier because again, the article just I published last night, amazing that we're not giving credit for natural immunity, okay? We have perhaps half, half the American population probably has natural immunity because they got infected at some point. But as we know, according to CDC data, a very, very small percent of people who get infected have serious health impacts or die. They're mostly people over 70 years old or people with very serious medical problems, what we call comorbidities, okay? But the vast majority of people get slightly infected, they get natural immunity. Now, when we're talking about mandates and vaccine passports, the US government, unlike other governments, does not want to give credit for natural immunity. Now, how do you explain this? I explained it in only one way. If they gave credit to natural immunity and said, well, you don't need to take a vaccine, well, that's it. You would hurt the business of the vaccine makers, okay? So mm -hmm. Israel, France, Germany, as examples, they are giving credit for natural immunity. And that's what we should be doing, okay? People now are being co coerced into taking vaccines because their companies or their universities or their public schools are demanding proof of vaccination. They're not giving any proof for natural immunity. And by the way, these some of these other countries, you can do testing, okay, to show that you have natural immunity, that you have the antibodies, okay, effective against COVID-19. But our government, FDA, CDC, NIH, they're not promoting any blood testing so that you can verify that you have natural immunity. It's, it's just an insane situation here in the US, much worse than in other, other countries. So there's so many aspects of this and, and, and public uh, press, you know, the mainstream media, they, they have suppressed all of this positive information, positive about the treatment protocols, okay, that I've talked about, positive in terms of natural immunity, okay? They, they suppress, even the publication of medical research articles gets suppressed because the big medical journals, where do they get their advertising revenue from? Big drug companies that make the vaccines. So everywhere you look, you can see a kind of financial evil incentive to do the wrong thing and to block the right thing. It's crazy. And one of the most sickening thing apart, one of the most annoying things about it as well is the people doing this are then trying to pass off the blame to other people. They're trying to use oh, yes. the, va the, the, the unvaccinated yes. as the scapegoats. They're trying to align people. I mean, you've got millions of Americans thinking that Dr. Fauci is some type of hero and that yeah. the things that are going wrong, they're blaming it on the so-called unvaccinated or the so-called anti-vaxxers or trying to blame it on these people and those people. And the, the people who have actually caused much of the problem, it's like they're getting away with this scot-free um, from people who put very sick elderly people back into the nursing homes, they're calling them heroes, to people who have been suppressing and censoring treatment protocols and silencing doctors and other healthcare workers. It's like the whole thing has been inverted. The whole thing is backwards. And I've been trying to get people to see through this and try to understand what's going on because people do not seem to see just how sinister the whole thing is. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, there's a lot of research that I've written about <clears throat> that shows that the vaccinated people are causing the problem. It is the vaccinating pe the vaccinated people. People don't understand that these vaccines, okay, that have been created or are being used, do not kill the virus. It's, it's fascinating. They don't kill the virus. They don't stop the spread or transmission of the virus in your body to other people. These are strange, they shouldn't even be called vaccines. That's what many people think. They are strange creations, okay? They do 
protect to some degree, there's no doubt about it. But I want to emphasize that we have so many statistics now, so many deaths. We're talking about tens of thousands of deaths just in the United States. When you look around the world, it's probably more like 100,000 vaccine deaths, okay? Can I just... uh... Can I just jump in there quickly and ask where that data comes from? Well, the, the death data comes from, in our system, it comes from the what they call the VAERS CDC database. And they're reporting, it's getting now about 20,000, close to 20,000 deaths. But I want to point out, there was a Harvard study uh, done a few years ago, which I've talked about in some of my work. And that Harvard study looked at the, the CDC VAERS database, and they came to an interesting conclusion. They said the database needed to be changed and revised, updated. And they said the data that's coming out of that CDC database most likely represents only 1%, 1% of what's actually happening in the world. So if CDC says there's 10,000 vaccine deaths, it really could be 100,000 in the U.S. alone. Again, but other governments are, are, have their own databases. There's a, a great database in the U.K. and also in the European Union. And that's where we're getting a lot of this data on vaccine deaths and adverse effects. Adverse effects now are like 500,000 to a million, okay? They're way up now. The point that Peter McCullough made some months ago, and I totally agree with, and Harvey Reich agrees with, I know, is that in the past, if, 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 if we would have seen so many deaths and adverse events from a new vaccine or a new medicine, FDA in the past would have taken that new medicine or vaccine off the market. That has always happened. The last time there was a vaccine, that didn't quite work out, there were only about 500,000 deaths, 500 deaths, excuse me, 500 deaths. And FDA took that vaccine off the market with just 500 deaths or so. Mm. Which vaccine was that? You know, I forget what it was for. My mind is slipping. But I can tell you the flu vaccine also gets a lot of comment. How many people die every year from the flu vaccine? Just about 200, as it turns out. So that's a pretty safe vaccine. You get into 500, that was not seen as safe. Now we're talking about tens of thousands, and FDA still won't take it off the market. So what's the incentive for keeping it on the market when we have an all, I want to emphasize, when we have an alternative to vaccines, and that is those treatment protocols. Again, that's so many... Now, there's a lot of doctors still prescribing using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, but they're hard to get. We have some major pharmacies in the U.S. A lot of people don't know this, but if they get a prescription from from a doctor for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, there are these chain drugstores like CVS and Walgreens. Many of those pharmacies will not fill those prescriptions. That's amazing. So we have pharmacies sort of, again, dictating <laughs> what is a, an okay vaccine for people to take. You know, one term I like to use, what we've lost in the United States is medical freedom. And instead, we have medical tyranny. Medical freedom meant doctors had the freedom to give their patients the medicines or vaccines that they thought appropriate for their patients. And medical freedom also meant for people, ordinary patients like us, that we have the right to take the medicine and vaccine that we think is appropriate for our own bodies, okay? We've lost so much of that freedom now. Most, 80, 90% of the doctors in the United States work for corporations. They may be hospitals or or various healthcare organizations. 80 and 90%. They will not do what the independent doctors do. They will not prescribe hydroxychloroquine ivermectin. I can tell you I tested this out. Less than five days ago, I had to see an internist, a primary care physician. 
And I said, listen, I'm researching this. I have a book out. I'm an expert on this stuff. And would you give me a prescription for ivermectin? I know it works. I know that many doctors, by the way, are taking 12 milligrams a week as a prophylactic so they don't take a vaccine. My doctor <laughs> sort of laughed a little bit and said, no, I can't give it. I'm, I'm not allowed to give you a prescription for ivermectin. The company that I work for, the corporation, simply does not accept that. And by the way, that's true for most hospitals. I want to emphasize, there's articles being written now that people are still dying in hospitals, not just from the original sort of COVID infection, but from what we call breakthrough infections. These are vaccinated people who've gotten re, have gotten infected despite being vaccinated. Many of these people are dying in hospitals. And I have read countless stories and accounts where the people in the hospital, their relatives have said, would you please give them ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or high doses of vitamin C, vitamin D. And the hospital doctors say, no, we mm -hmm. can't do it because our hospitals do not have that as an accepted protocol. So people are still dying unnecessarily in hospitals and not getting what they want from their own physicians. If you want hydroxine uh, ivermectin, you can get it by going to a few websites that are in my book and that I always say, because I'm a member of these organizations, America's Frontline Doctors, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and there are some other websites where you have to spend some money, but you can get a prescription for these generic drugs. Personally, I'm getting mine from India. <laughs> I, I actually spent time in India. I did a big trip there once. And so I went to a pharmacy there. I have a relationship with a pharmacy and I can order my drugs from a reliable pharmacy in India. And I just ordered a new load of ivermectin, for example, okay? so. This is the reality we face. Americans are at a disadvantage. I want to emphasize ivermectin is being used all over the world. So is hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. In many countries, it's over the counter. No prescriptions needed. In some countries, the government is giving those generics out free of charge, okay? Mm -hmm. Free of charge to people. That's why we have much better data in a lot of countries. Lower fatality rates, lower hospitalization rates. It's mind-blowing. I mean, to me, this is literally a crime against humanity. Yes. And people are not recognizing what is going on. Um, man, I don't even know. <laughs> it frustrates me. It frustrates me so much, especially at this point, at 18 months in, that people cannot see what is going on. I mean, something that's happening recently now I'm seeing in the West is that Ivermectin is being billed as a as a drug that's purely for animals, right? It's a, well, they're saying that it's a it's a horse drug or it's for cows, etc. And so, yeah, yeah, and it has been used for animals, but that's not sure. the point. <laughs> it has also, also been used on a lot of humans. A lot of humans. I want to I want to emphasize ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, both by the way, fully approved by FDA, have been used for decades for a host of medical problems. Okay, ivermectin is just a great medicine for various medical conditions. So is hydroxychloroquine. Did you just say that they're approved by the FDA? Is that correct? Yes, fully approved. So, <laughs> and, and, he, and here now, we only have just happened with days ago, FDA just fully approved uh, the Pfizer vaccine, which mm -hmm. I think is a big mistake. And I pointed out, I wrote an article about this. Interestingly enough, a little side inside baseball story, FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine without consulting their advisory group of physicians, okay? This is why I've concluded that the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine is more a political decision than a medical decision. If you read, there's a letter, okay, which I have access to, which you can dig on the internet now, there's a letter from FDA to Pfizer when they approved the Pfizer vaccine. If you go into the details of that letter, what's amazing is 
they require Pfizer to do a bunch of studies and they give them a few years to do these studies on the safety of the Pfizer vaccine. So scratch your head. Does this make sense that they've already given approval to the Pfizer vaccine without making the company do all of these studies before people get the jabs? No, it doesn't make any sense, except that this is a political and financial decision to push these vaccines. And within days, I'm sure a week or so, they will give approval to the Moderna vaccine and the others, okay? This is a political game. Fauci is the head of it. He is the most powerful official I've ever seen. I've worked in the Washington, D.C. political scene for decades, okay? I have never seen anyone with so much power in the bureaucracy as Fauci. And a little inside baseball again here. <laughs> he gives out close to $5 billion a year in grants to medical researchers. So there are hundreds, if not thousands of physicians and medical researchers whose livelihood depends on getting grants, big money, from Fauci's part of NIH. This is how Fauci controls the medical establishment, I want to emphasize. And so the medical establishment is a disgrace. It has become evil, and it is under the control of both Fauci and the big drug companies, and playing in this game also on the wrong side is big media, mainstream media, corporate social media. So it's this terrible, it is a kind of conspiracy of evil people everywhere you look. And the people doing wonderful things. I mean, I, I have relationships with doctors around the country and around the world now, and they're doing wonderful things. They're curing their patients. Even with breakthrough infections, you can take care of these people, okay? But it's not happening for most Americans, the vast majority, again, because everything is working against enlightening and educating and informing most of the people. Mm. This is the sad story here. So I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I've heard that if there is a treatment that's available, that's effective, then it would not have been possible to get the emergency use authorization for these various injections. Is that is that accurate? That, that's what a lot of sort of legal scholars say is true. I, I think there would have been ways around it because they did approve also remdesivir. Fauci pushed remdesivir because he had a relationship with that company. Okay, mm. He pushed that remdesivir. Remdesivir is hardly ever used anymore. It's a very expensive drug. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, that that was a good argument, a good explanation of why they gave emergency use authorization. Um, again, because, again, the generic drugs were fully approved. OK, so they just decided they had the if they hadn't blocked the generic drugs, mind you, they would have killed the market for vaccines. Oh, Peter, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Peter McCullough has made a great point, And I totally agree with him on this. He said, if at the beginning, when they started to think about we could create vaccines, what they should have thought about is only giving those vaccines to maybe 20 million Americans. These would have been the people in the nursing homes, frontline medical workers, and maybe a small part of the population with very serious comorbidities, health problems. It could have been about 20 million people, but that wouldn't have created, again, the huge financial market for the drug companies. And probably, they were probably inside discussion saying, well, if we only uh, say 20 million people need vaccine shots, well, then the drug companies won't, won't develop the vaccines. So that was the kind of game that was going on. So they said, well, we have to prescribe vaccines for everyone in order to create a big enough market for the drug companies to get into this with full force, you know? go all the way. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's what happened. But we didn't need to vaccinate. We still don't need to vaccinate most people. You're young. You're healthy. <laughs> if you're not. I've also, I've also already had it and recovered. <laughs> you see? So you have natural immunity. 
You mm-hmm. could, they won't even, by the way, again, inside story, there's a blood test that you could get to prove that you have natural immunity, but Fauci, CDC, all these agencies, they will not publicize these drug tests and Medicare and probably won't even cover the cost of the drug tests to prove that you have natural immunity. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want you to prove that you have natural immunity so that they could give you credit on a vaccine passport or some sort of mandate condition. You should be able to go into any place, any restaurant or venue if you have I, natural I, immunity. Pers- I personally think everybody should be able to anyway. I yes. think the fact that the natural immunity thing is ignored is a gigantic flashing red flag that this is clearly not about science and medicine. Absolutely. But the notion that people who were and still are, as far as I'm concerned, previously free and had the freedom of movement and ability to participate fully in society, the notion that all of that should magically be inverted all of a sudden in 2021 because there's a new virus going around that's got a 99.9% survival rate in the majority population is utterly absurd to me. That's just medical segregation. That's medical apartheid. That's moving completely backwards. Tyranny also. Tyranny, tyranny. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very coercive. Absolutely coercive. And, And we have a kind of authoritarian thing going on where the people in the public health system Governors, mayors, etc., want to use the power now again to control our lives, and it's unnecessary. You know, they don't need to control our lives if they would just open up the spigot and let the treatment protocols be used. If they open up the door to natural giving credit, I want to emphasize to natural immunity. So there are things that the government can do, should do, and that other governments have been doing. And the one thing we haven't also said is that all this pushing for masking and lockdowns and school closings is also insanity. And the worst insanity, there's a new article coming out. I think I'm co-author on a very big, important article that hasn't surfaced yet. And that article argues against vaccinating children. There is no greater sin than vaccinating children because they do not have any significant risk from COVID-19. It makes no sense to pump. And these vaccines are crazy chemicals, genetically engineered materials. The more I, I I read the research on them, the more frightening these vaccines become. I was vaccinated, I'm 80, almost 82 actually, and I got vaccinated early on last January. I wouldn't do it again. I just got notice from, I belong to the Johns Hopkins system. (laughs) And I got an email yesterday saying, oh, you know, you might qualify for a booster shot. Why don't you check in with us? And I said, no way. (laughs) I don't want to touch another one of these vaccine shots because now I know what's in them. I know the blood clotting problems that have surfaced, which are so widespread. There are a couple of websites that people can go to and read the details on all of the negative impacts of the vaccines. And I I advise people to go to these websites, get the information, because you're not going to get it from mainstream media, okay? Big media keeps suppressing. And yet every day, healthy young people are dying unnecessarily from blood clotting, particularly blood clotting problems from these vaccines. Every one of these vaccines, I want to emphasize this, research in the the United Kingdom and in Germany has shown every one of these vaccines is causing blood clotting problems, okay? And statistically, you know, the, the, the... the medical world says, well, don't worry about this. It's only a small fraction of the people getting vaccinated. Well, it may seem like a small fraction now. We don't know in the years ahead how, how these people will continue to suffer. But even if it's a small fraction, 
I'm amazed. I every day I read in the newspaper headline stories about how many people just died yesterday in flooding, okay, in various parts of the United States. A few hundred, not probably thousands, and wildfires, people dying. And yet the media gives no headline stories to tens of thousands of people dying from taking the vaccines. Of what not. a crazy absurdity this is. Mm-hmm. You know? And the thing Some the thing as well is the thing as well is even if it's it's rare for people to have those side effects, do you know what else is rare? Is young, healthy people dying or being hospitalized with COVID nineteen. Right. right? So <laughs> When it comes to the vaccine, people are willing to totally overlook adverse reactions and say, oh, well, you know, that's very rare. They're totally willing to say that. But then they're not willing to look at the statistics of, say, people under the age of 60, certainly under the age of 50, who are, you know, don't have massive, massive comorbidity problems and say, "Okay, well, let's let's look at that data when you're trying to push these vaccines on people who are in their 12-year-olds and 18-year-olds and even people in their 20s and their 30s, 40s even, who have no pre-existing health conditions, it's, it's insane to me. I mean, I'm from the UK, and I believe the average age of death with COVID in the, in the UK, I say death with COVID, not death from, because we don't actually know that statistic, right. is around 82, which is the same as the average life expectancy, in fact. And... Yes. The about 90, I think, I believe 90% plus of the uh, people who have died with COVID in the in the UK, which, by the way, is considered in 28 days of a positive test, which is, is a whole nother thing. Um, about 90% are people over 60 with, with comorbidities. Yes. And so from very, and we've had this data for at least 15 months now in terms oh, yeah. of knowing how this is stratified amongst demographics. So the one size fits all rules and mandates and guidelines and everything, whether you're talking about the the lockdowns and the stay-at-home orders, or you're talking about uh, the shielding, or you're talking about the, the vaccine rollout now, the notion that you're going to treat a, a 14-year-old exactly the same way as you treat an 84-year-old who maybe has some existing conditions is absolutely insane to me. Not just insane, but actually dangerous, especially if you're going to have these shots, which people are even taking multiple times, because of course, each time you take it, you're taking that risk again and again and again. If you just take one shot, then you face you know that small probability of an adverse reaction. But if they're going to want people taking two, three, four, five, ten shots, then each time you're doing that, you're just compounding any any potential risk. And then again, of course, they're ignoring the whole natural immunity, whereas if that person were just to get COVID, assuming they haven't already had it, and get those natural antibody T cells, then yep. they're, they're not taking, of course, you know, there's of course, look, let, let me not say there's no risk with COVID. Of course there is, for, but we know how that risk affects different people. And the vast majority of people, especially people in my type of demographic, if you get COVID, it's, you know, I had it. It was bad for it was bad for three days, not not hospitalization bad or anything like that. Very un, you know, I did. I felt I felt like crap for three days. I felt meh for another three days, and within a week, I was I was fine, and I had it worse than a lot of people do. So there are just so many factors that aren't being spoken about. Another thing that is totally ignored is the entire continent of Africa, entire yes. continent of Africa, every single country there. I mean, I think South Africa was the worst hit. Um, but in general, I believe the entire continent had less deaths from COVID than the than the UK. So you're comparing over a billion people to just 66 million, and people don't want to talk about that. Um, I've also heard that I I'm also aware that in in Africa, the, some of these drugs that we've previously mentioned are regularly used as anti-malarials and anti-parasitic drugs. You can get ivermectin over the counter in many of these countries, yes. and again because it doesn't fit with this narrative. It's just like, okay, just forget about that entire continent. It doesn't exist. Let's just focus on um, a handful of Western countries. Let's focus on places that fit the narrative, and we're just going to ignore the rest of it. There's so much that's not being spoken about. No one talks about China anymore, right? China is literally the epicenter of this. China has been largely back to normal for well over a year. Uh, I believe they were even rolling out vaccines back spring last year, and there's no questions about this. There's no 
challenged. I mean, there, there's a whole Pandora's box here of questions. I mean, their official death count is under 5,000 people out of 1.4 billion. So there's something janky going on here. Um, I don't know all the answers, but the fact that more people are not asking questions is unbelievable to me. I'm glad you mentioned Africa. I, I had my new article, which you can find, I went up last night on WND.com. It's a good website for the truth. And I actually, <laughs> for the first time, I actually cite an African virologist, okay? This is a well-known virologist in Africa. And I found his a piece of work by him. And he also is advising, guess what? Don't take the vaccine. <laughs> so he says, because his people, where he lives in Africa, have natural immunity for various reasons, okay? Mm. And if you have natural immunity, you don't wanna take the vaccine. I wanna emphasize that there's a lot of research that shows that if you have natural immunity, the worst thing you can do for your immune system is to get vaccinated because that artificial immunity on top of your natural immunity will really screw up your immune system, okay? so. I'm glad I found this this African, well-known virologist in Africa who's saying, again, the right thing. He understands the problem. Again, we're, but we're not listening to so many great experts, uh, great experts in Europe, particularly. Europe is doing some of the best work, the UK, some of the best research. Again, what I want to emphasize, we can't say this enough, What all? why are they now promoting booster shots? Okay, because all the data shows that the vaccine immunity does not last. Whatever, if it's giving you some immunity, it's dying within months, okay? It's fading away in months. So that's why they're promoting the booster shots and then they'll promote annual shots if they have their way because this vaccine immunity is not good what the research has shown and what my new paper talks about, I have the research findings, is that the natural immunity that you got, for example, actually is more protective against the coronavirus than the vaccine immunity. It, it behaves differently. Your natural immunity works against the whole sort of molecule, the virus, okay? Not just the spike protein part of it, the way the artificial vaccine immunity works. It's more comprehensive. Your natural immunity is more comprehensive and effective against the, the whole of the virus, okay? So we know the research is clear. The findings are absolutely clear. You're actually better off with natural immunity. So the government, our government, is not giving credit for it. and. It's insane. It's just absolutely insanity to me that people now will get vaccinated who don't need it, who have natural immunity. They will suffer some consequences from these vaccines, the blood consequences, the blood clotting, the strokes, the, the brain bleeds, the microscopic blood clots in your lungs that will not go away, by the way. All these, these realities are out there. And yet most people are ignorant. Most of the public remains ignorant. Why? I don't blame them. They're victims of, again, what I call big media, suppressing all of the correct and often very positive information that we have. So much great research goes on, but it doesn't get well accurately communicated to the public, except through podcasts like yours and the articles that I write on, on four websites now. But otherwise, you know, most of the public is still being victimized, victimized by big media. And this thing will go on forever. And I want to say, I wrote an article about two, the two, one of the two greatest virologists in the world who've said that these vaccines will cascade into more and more negative impacts as time goes on and that the vaccines create the variants. I want to point this out, the vaccinated people, not the unvaccinated people, but it is the vaccinated people 
who are transmitting the virus, okay? They are the ones that where the variants are being created in their bodies, okay? So some of the great virologists have been warning, and what they've said explicitly, I want to emphasize this, they said stop the vaccination program worldwide. This is their advice from great virologists. Stop these vaccinations. We'd be better off if we stopped them, okay? Can you, can you give some names of people who have come to that conclusion? Uh, yeah, I'm terrible on foreign names, and one of them is a, a French virologist uh, who got the Nobel Prize, by the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the other one is a Belgium virologist. Oh, I think um, um, Gert van den Bosch maybe is the, is he the latter maybe? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I think and then the it. former, I think I know who you're talking about, actually. Luc, I'm trying to think of. L-U-C, Luc, Luc something. Uh, Luc uh, Montagnier, something like that? Yeah, yes, yes. You got yeah. it, my friend. Yes. Okay. I, I'm bad on foreign names. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> but you're right. So he, he wins. He, he won a Nobel Prize in medicine, by the way. He has said, stop the vaccination. So has the Belgian virologist, stop the vaccination. So I wrote an article, people can find it on, on various websites now, about these two virologists. And by the way, what are they both, what is the conclusion? <laughs> You're like this, when you read their articles, the papers, you know, what they have written, they end up giving a solution. They're saying, stop the vaccination. What is their alternative? Both of these great virologists came to the same conclusion use the generics. They actually say, for example, use ivermectin. So they want to give a solution because they're giving you a saying, stop the vaccination. What's the alternative? Take the generics, take these protocols. So these, these are great researchers, great people who come to the same conclusion as a lot of American doctors like Zelenko and McCullough and Reich, all coming to the same conclusion. Okay. But the mainstream for, media, you know, hmm. doesn't tell for you people, uh, for people who are critics of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or who are claiming that it, it doesn't help or even that it's potentially dangerous, is there any credence to those arguments to to balance it out? Is there anything there that people should be aware of or looking out for? Because just as you have, I mean, this is one thing with the the medical world is there's always, and there, yes. and there should be discussion and, and yes. dissent, right? I mean, that's yes. why I'm concerned about the censorship and the lack of these conversations. I would love to see a conversation between a doctor who is an advocate for, say, ivermectin and a doctor who uh, perhaps thinks ivermectin is ineffective or potentially harmful. I'd love to see that discussion, but we're not able to see these discussions because you're not even allowed to have the conversation in, on many platforms. Right. Well, I can tell you, we looked into this in, in a lot of detail when a lot of the negative articles came out about hydroxychloroquine. And, and the same is true for ivermectin. <clears throat> and one of the things we see is that when they do these studies that come out with negative conclusions about the generics, they, they have, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but what they normally have done is given too high a dose of the generic to patients, okay? That happened a lot with hydroxychloroquine. We see it happening again in ivermectin. They're giving too high a dose. So I belong to some medical groups, and what there are daily discussions on what's the appropriate dosage for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And you have to be very careful. You want to give the right dose. So when you read these negative medical journal articles, it's in the case of hydroxychloroquine, they often excluded the use of zinc, okay, along with the hydroxychloroquine. It turned out you needed to have the zinc with the hydroxychloroquine for it to work effectively, okay? And ivermectin, you might not need the zinc, although most doctors still think you ought to use a cocktail approach. This is Peter McCullough in Texas. You never just want to use the one generic. So you want to use a lot of vitamin C, a lot of vitamin D, zinc, often is in the cocktail, okay? Sometimes it's an, it's an ordinary antibiotic, which has some antiviral qualities. Uh, doxycycline is one that's often used. 
So you got to look at the details. So these negative articles about ivermectin, those are insane. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you how crazy some of those are. But you, you can, anyone can access the data and the literature. There are lots of websites now where you can actually look at all of the trials and all of the testing that has been done. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of tests for hydroxychloroquine, a lot of probably hundreds of tests now for ivermectin with positive results. I want to emphasize, can you always find negative medical journal articles about these generics? Yes, you can. But only by looking at the details. And I belong to a couple of uh, Google groups of mostly physicians. And there, there is daily discussion about, God, how do these researchers screw up the test for ivermectin? Well, we know how they screw it up. It has to do with dosage, okay? And it also has to do when they give it in terms of how sick is the patient. Again, you have to give these generics early on. So what happened in a lot of the famous hydroxychloroquine articles is they gave the hydroxy way too late. Now, now they, they, they give the ivermectin or hydroxy to patients in the hospital, mind you, already suffering. Their bodies have already been inundated with the virus, okay? They've gone, there are three stages to the infection. They've gone past the first and second stage. They're in third stage of infection. They're in the hospital, and then they give them ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Well, it's way too late. It's that simple. Medically speaking, it's way too late. And I keep reading stories every day about people going into hospitals. The hospitals will not use any of these generic protocols. They, they put these patients on no useful drugs whatsoever, okay? And then they put them on these machines and they, all, and they wind up dying in the hospital, okay? Mm -hmm. So yes, there are these negative findings. They've been totally analyzed by great doctors, Dr. Rice from Yale, McCullough from Texas, uh, just mentioning a few, uh, who analyze this data and can explain in medical terms, scientific terms, don't believe the negative findings. Of course, don't take ivermectin that's meant for horses and cattle because that's impure ivermectin. That's not, mm. it's not made in, in high purity for you, for people. And the other thing is dosage. You know, how much ivermectin should you take? I mean, I can give some numbers out. I, I am a, I'm a little reluctant to do it because, you know, we can't prescribe over, over the air, so to speak. People need to talk to the right physicians, which you can access again through a couple of websites. Your normal doctor will not talk to you because they, they don't even know. I, I, I was with my cardiologist a week ago, and I said, what about this blood clotting problem? I mean, he's been my heart doctor for over a decade. I said, are you dealing with blood clotting? He says, he's not seeing it, but he has no time to read the research. <laughs> he says, and he works for a big corporation, okay? He says, I can't have any time to read the research. I'm reading the research, but I'm not a practicing physician the way he is. So that's the sad part of people going to their regular doctors. They're not going to get the help they need. You've got to go to the websites that you can access uh, doctors that are willing to give you through telemedicine. Telemedicine, they'll talk to you and then give you a prescription that you can use at your local pharmacy. But you may have a problem with your local pharmacy, okay? Some, sometimes they can get the drugs mailed to you, okay, which is useful. Wow. Well, Dr. Hirschhorn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I think this is going to generate a lot of conversation. I think this is very timely and very important. And where can people find more of your work and check out your book? Well, Pandemic Blunder, it's, it's being sold uh, mostly on Amazon, but it's available anywhere books are sold. 
I happen to like Amazon. It's their lowest price. It's, there's also a Kindle version, which is like an e-book, which is very, very low cost. So Amazon or any other place. My articles are published on uh, four websites now. WND.com uh, publishes a lot of my articles. Um, uh, NOQ uh, Report. Uh, uh, LifeScienceNews.com is another one. Um, so uh, TrialSiteNews.com is yet another one. So, you know, you can find my articles on a lot of websites. Once they get up on one, one website, they are often republished on many more websites. So you can do searches under my name, Joel S. Hershon, and that way you will access many of my articles too. Because I have about 30 or 40 articles that are out there live right now. Uh, and the book, again, is doing well uh, all over the world. And the book still is relevant. It's been out about seven months, but all of the data in it is still relevant. And it has all of the websites that you can go to to get the, the, the uh, generic medicines I've talked about. All of that's in the book and even certain details about protocols. There's a protocol I use every day, even though I've been vaccinated, based on vitamins and supplements, which I, I can recommend vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin. Quercetin is a great supplement, okay? And anti-inflammatory. I take that, that protocol and my wife twice a day, even though we've been vaccinated. Fantastic. Dr. Joel S. Hirshon, thank you so much for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame.